Welcome to another edition of the Always Be Testing Podcast with your host, Ty DeGrange. Get a guided tour of the world of growth, performance marketing, customer acquisition, paid media, and affiliate marketing. We talk with industry experts and discuss experiments and their learnings in growth, marketing, and life. Time to nerd out, check your biases at the door, and have some fun talking about data-driven growth and lessons learned. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another edition of the Always Be Testing podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tidy Grange, and I am very, very excited to talk to Alexa Kilroy today. Hey, Alexa. Hey, what's up? Thank you for having me. Heck yeah. It's awesome to see you again. Been a minute. Yeah, I know. Since I moved from Austin, I feel like I've been on another planet. <laughs> how, is the, how is it treating you in, in, in up north? You know, Boston is great. I want to say I like desperately miss Austin, but I'm glad that I'm not sweating through my clothing right now in September. So I'm going to take the the fall that I'm being kept in right now. The heat is uh, no joke here. And um, a little New England fall is, is probably uh, just what the doctor ordered right about now. Yes. Good for the soul. Absolutely. So for all of those of you who do not know, Alexa is the director of marketing at stay.ai. And she's the former head of brand at Triple Whale of D2C com fame, I might say. Accurate? Oh <laughs> Maybe, let's hope. <laughs> I think you're famous in, in pockets of the inter, inter, interwebs and for good reason. And I, I think uh, well-earned as well. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, she's, she's building out a team at Stay.ai. They're doing some really cool stuff in Shopify subscription solutions and just excited to dive in to all things growth, learnings, uh, and all the things we talked about here. So let's, let's do it. Let's do it. So love to hear about your background. For those of you who don't know, kind of how you got into this space, how you've kind of navigated it. I'd love to hear a little bit more for, for the audience. Totally. Yeah. So I think like many marketers, I had a weird journey to getting to where I'm at now. I graduated from college in Boston with a super specific degree to teach for the rest of my life, teach high school English. And like totally went through the ringer, taking classes at night, student teaching during the day, really put myself to the grindstone, only to then realize about a year out of undergrad that you make like zero dollars as a teacher. <laughs> and I was 21, I was in a new place, I was broke, it was not the not the situation I would remain in. So I made a couple hop, skips and jumps and ended up in the e-com world, working on the brand side. Literally had no marketing experience whatsoever. So it was very much like claw your way up through the ranks. And a lot of people did me huge solids and took a lot of chances on me, gave me the opportunity to learn growth marketing, performance advertising, became like a little direct response queen. I was in product videography and photography and email, like literally everything besides shipping and fulfillment, even did CX on the brand side. I had my hands in for a number of years. And then a couple of years ago, the former CMO of Triple Whale, which is a, another Shopify app, data analytics and attribution, former CMO asked me out to drinks. We were both local to Austin and was like, hey, I just love to bounce ideas around with you. Ended up offering me a job on the spot. And so I was with Triple Whale for about a year. They went through their series B round. And then I was kind of ready for the next growth step and happened to call up a partner and friend of mine. Uh, Gina Pirelli, who is the co-founder of Stay, and telling her, you know, hey, I just want to talk through what, I would love your sage wisdom. Where do you think the next step should be? 
when she said, funny you mention it, we're, we're hiring for a marketing lead at Stay. Any interest? And so the conversation went from there. And for the past three or so months, I've been the director of marketing at Stay AI. I am literally building a marketing function and team from the ground up scratch, which is no joke, um, <laughs> but it is incredibly rewarding work. And so here I am. And I guess to give some additional context, if you're not familiar with Stay, um, we are also in the, the Shopify app space. We are a subscription solution app, which I can I can dig more into if you'd like me to do so, Ty, but pretty rad app there as well. And I'm just totally addicted to the uh, the Shopify world now. I can't get out of it. I love it. Yeah. And a couple of things jump out for me. And I think you are, I think you deserve a lot of uh, credit. It's quite impressive. I think there's a, your level of dynamism and, and hustle and, and, our, and clarity in, in what you're doing and what you're, what you're working on is impressive and want to commend you in that journey. Not often is it easy to make a transition like that. I have seen some really great talented people come from the education and the teaching space. I think not number of us on my team, uh, had a passion for learning and or teaching. And so it's interesting to see that from you as well. And it's impressive how you've navigated your career very quickly. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, um, I'm pretty sure that I'll, I'll fall on the, or die on the hill that teachers make some of the best marketers because if you can convince yep. like a classroom of kids to care about things that they most certainly don't wake up and care about, you can pretty much sell anybody. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, what a great point. Um, and and many of us are all just kids at heart anyway, underneath it all. And it just kind of depends on who you're talking to and what the situation is and how kid-like they are, right? Yep, totally. Love it. Very cool. And I, I think your, you know, obviously the stay.ai career move is, is a new chapter and you're building that team there. I definitely want to delve into that more. I think the recent example with Triple Whale is super interesting, given their growth trajectory, given where they sit in the DSC Ecom ecosystem, sitting on top of Shopify, as you alluded to, that's an ecosystem that you and I have worked a lot in and our team has as well. And it seems like there's something special that kind of happened there due to a lot of your efforts and, and team's efforts there. For those that maybe are not aware, can you maybe describe a little bit about what kind of seemed to come together there? with that marketing group and, and what kind of worked well for you? Yeah, absolutely. So my role at Triple L was head of brand, which is definitely one of those like startup titles where you get a title because you're an octopus doing eight different things at once. And we don't really know what title to give you, but it was very generous in giving it to me. And it, it led me to a, a variety of really awesome opportunities. Um, so Triple Whale, I think, benefited from a variety of different things. The first was right place and right time. So it really started building this attribution solution right when the iOS 14, 14.5 chaos started to hit. And advertisers and marketers were just really stressed having a black box of their data, not really knowing where their customers were coming from. And so that was part of just the natural, I don't know, like fascination, I think, with the solution that was that came to market that was Triple Whale. But I think part of it, honestly, was so the founding team and, and my marketing team especially was so strategically built that it just led to just this absolute eruption of success. And so Raba, our former CMO, came on 
first. He then hired a head of social and a head of community, which I think is really powerful that those were his first two hires. He really identified that the biggest opportunity in the market at the time was to, one, have a fun and engaging and unique and interesting presence on social. So if you follow Triple Y on social, you'll know that you know they're notorious for like funny memes related to all things e-commerce, in addition to juicy tidbits and tactics and tips and tricks. So that was a huge success. And I would give all the props in the world to Tommy Clark, our head of social at the time, who masterfully developed the social strategy for the brand and it was actually like integral to our growth and product adoption. Our head of community, Kevin, was the second hire and an incredible, incredible human being who really decided to do something, in my opinion, revolutionary, which is take a SaaS software solution that tackles data and analytics and build like a family and a community around it. So it first started with the digital community, then it it evolved into th- literally just throwing what we called roadshows, which were happy hour networking events, just to get people together in the room and talk about what's going on in the world and going on in their businesses, which for those of us that work in e-commerce, many of us work on small teams. Most of us are remote. It's really helpful to just meet people outside of your own bubble sometimes. So that was huge and in further adoption of the Triple brand. And then I came on shortly thereafter, and my job was kind of somewhere in between the world of supporting events and experiences and content, some of our bigger bets that we were making, which ranged from literally producing things like a full-on D2C reality TV show to some absolutely massive events, just all kinds of really rad stuff that we had the opportunity to do, built out a full podcast network. Like It was just a combination of absolutely really creative and innovative marketing and knowing who our people were, like we knew that our the founders that were using our product in, in our space were kind of in this 20 to 40 year old, like young and hungry range. We knew the mediums of content that they'd be really interested in, the way that we could throw physical and digital events that would be really exciting for them. And so in becoming students of our customers, we just ran incredibly pointed marketing efforts directly towards our people all with the mission of like, hey, SaaS tech doesn't have to be boring. You can learn, you can have fun. It can be an enjoyable and colorful experience along the way. And you can build community in literally using a tech product, which just hasn't always really been a thing. And so it was, again, like some industry innovation, some right place, some right time, an incredible and creative and passionate team. But I'm so proud of all the work that we did and what we built. And um, I'm just so thankful for that experience. 100%. Yeah, and the community thing is obviously a buzzword and an exciting thing that a lot of people are chasing. I think we can talk about like D2C and SaaS and how they're, I feel like a lot of those worlds are colliding in different ways. And it's like the, the, the silos and differences between B2B and D2C marketing are, are less, uh, you know, it's less of a gap as it used to be in my view. I'm curious to to think through kind of like the concept of community. I think some elements, in my opinion, feel like have been done in the past, and which is, hey, it's not shocking to hear, but I think there's a lot of things that did come together at the right moment, as you alluded to, in a pretty impressive way, taking on the DNA of the team and really listening to your customers well. I think that might be one of my favorite takeaways from what you just said. But long setup here, what do you think, can community be applied to new models and to be marketed uh, do you feel like that's something that you could bring to an organization? Do you feel like that's something that other people are trying to emulate more of now? And do you think it can work in a similar fashion 
as it did with Triple Whale. Yeah. I mean, I, I said this before with advertising, like, you know, digital marketing advertising for DTC brands, and it applies now to kind of the concept of community for SaaS brands. But people who are being marketed to are wise. They know if they're being marketed to, or they know when they're being pitched to. They know when it's something's a sales opportunity versus actually like a community that you're building. And so what made Triple Whale so successful, and so much credit to Kevin Newsom for this, was community for us was not, hey, we are building this community because we need this and we want to put you in a room and sell to you. But it was, hey, you guys all have stuff in common. You can learn from each other. We can learn along the way. We're just going to enable people to get into a room. And then like 1% of what happens in that community is going to be related to our product or business. I think that that approach to community can be effective anywhere. It just can't be about you. You can't make a community effort be about selling and your business and your business goals. It makes tracking KPIs and evaluating community success difficult in the beginning when you're launching it. But if you do it masterfully, then you have situations like ours where we had an event in January, I think, or February of 2023 called Whaley's in which we literally ran what I would call a true community event. It was shocked with education. It was, it had a bunch of fun social events associated with it. We also incorporated industry awards for some of the best brands in the space where we like crowdsourced votes for people to vote on, you know, most innovative product drop and stuff like that of the year. And it happened to be that in Austin at that specific timing, there was a freak snow ice sleet storm. It was a 250 person event. We had to continue increasing the, the max capacity of the event because so many people wanted to come. And then like the day of, we got wrecked with this horrible storm. I literally had no power at my house. I had to stay at a hotel to help run the event. Thankfully, the event space had power. But the most incredible proof in the pudding of our community efforts were that people were scheduling and rescheduling and rescheduling their flights just to get there. We had dozens of people who ended up not being able to get a flight to Austin, but got a flight to Houston and that took like carpooled three-hour-long rental cars or Uber rides from Houston to Austin just to be able to come to the event. And it's like... Sometimes when you're setting up these foundations of community in the beginning, it's really hard to prove the ROI. But then when you have really built it, you've invested in it for six to eight months, you have situations like that where you can see people going above and beyond to be a part of something. And it's they're not coming because they want triple whale. They were coming because they wanted to be there and be a part of something and learn and grow. And I think that's when you know you've really mastered community. That's so amazing. I'm, I'm just digesting that. I mean, how many, I have so many thoughts and questions. Like, are there examples of that that you have seen, not to take anything away from Triple Whale and what you guys all accomplished, but do you see examples of that in other arenas or are there examples of that that you kind of think are onto something? Yeah, of course. I mean, at least within our industry, you know, I've been to many a, a geek out event. I think in, you know, when they, I don't think they're actually running them anymore. Or maybe they're slowing them down, but in the Geek Out heyday, they were doing the same thing. They were really building a successful community around these events. And people were looking forward to going quarterly and seeing each other and spending time together and really learning. Uh, there is an event coming up in San Diego, I think, next week that Sendlane is hosting with a bunch of partners called the like, Commerce Summit or something like that. It has the same amount of, honestly, like hype and excitement. And I think you know, like there are a lot of strategic things that you have to do. You have to, as a planner of an event, you need to make sure it's in the right place where people are excited about traveling there. And you need to make sure you have 
speakers that people are really excited about learning from. But like once you hit it right once or twice, then people will keep coming again and again and again as long as you're offering that same quality. And so it's definitely a, like a replicable effect that you can have. It's just, you've just got to nail it right the first couple times. It's also one of those things where if you throw like a really crappy event, whether it's digital or in-person, people remember that experience and it takes three X the energy to win them back. And so, you know, it's one of those things where you have to like play your cards well, but I think it's, it's achievable by many brands and many different industries for sure. How did you build trust with some of the other members of the organization? Like, for example, finance, are they just looking at this going, what the heck are we doing? I imagine there was a number of buy-in across the organization, but I'd love to hear maybe ways that you found aha moments or maybe you and your team built trust internally when maybe there was people internally saying, you know, how are we going to pull this off or how does this make sense? I'm, I'm curious to learn more about maybe how you you'd approach that. I mean, honestly, you start scrappy. You start with like the most affordable, but still great version of whatever it is that you want to do. And then you prove the ROI there and then you scale up a little bit more and then you prove the ROI there. So you're not going to start with throwing a $250,000 event. You know, it's just, it's way too much of a risk. Getting the buy-in isn't there. It's baby steps and earning that trust. And then also making sure that the work that you do is attributable. So if you do meet a new customer and close a deal from an event, making sure that that's tracked and understood in somebody's dashboard somewhere. And then also like, frankly, some of it is just, it's strategic partner plays as well, right? So like, you don't have to pay for everything yourself. Grab a keynote speaker from a partner brand and they have to give you some money to be that keynote speaker, right? And so you can kind of mitigate your costs and working meaningfully with your partners, giving them an opportunity to get in front of the crowd, give yourself an opportunity to get in front of the crowd. And at the end of the day, like, as long as you're not blowing an insane amount of money without anything to come from it, um, it's easy to kind of scale yourself up and, and earn that trust. Love it. Yeah, definitely like thinking about it in that agile way. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot to talk about there. There's a lot of great challenges and learning. So is there any kind of takeaways that you felt were meaningful beyond that particular part of the triple whale experience or, or their rise? And I'm just curious to know if there's other like experiments, learnings, thoughts that you have around that as we wrap up and move on to the next topic. Yeah, gosh, I have so many learnings from my triple experience that I could spend like three days giving a workshop probably. <laughs> Not that mm-hmm. anybody would maybe care, but... I think they would. <laughs> I think for the learning side, and this is applicable across kind of all the facets of the business, but I'm a huge fan of finding product market fit before you invest or build in something. And so like kind of proving out what you're going to do before you launch it. And so like on the product side for triple well, that was launching landing pages and beta invitations to products that we hadn't even started building yet because we wanted to make sure the take rate was high enough. And then knowing that if it was really low, we had the relationship with our customers to say like, Hey, you know what? We deprioritize building this thing. We hope to build it again in the future. We'd love to enlist you in this other beta that got higher priority instead. So I think, you know, on the product side, it's that with events, it's like starting to market the event before, you know, you've, collected all the cash and put it together and make sure you're going to have the, the signups for the event. It's the same thing for webinars. You know what I mean? Like there's so many ways to prove what you're doing before you go out and really start to invest all your time and energy in doing it. Because frankly, marketing is just one of those, it's a sport. It's like, you know, for every three good swings, 
you might have three bad ones. And so you just have to accept that not everything's a winner and find strategic ways to invest your time in the highest probability winners. So I think that kind of proof before you build was a big learning for me. I think another thing was um, I had the opportunity to hire a lot of really awesome people and, and watch the hiring that happened across the company. And I will always be an advocate of hiring based on like energy and growth mindset and desire to grow and scale over having like the most stacked three-page resume I've ever seen. There's nothing better than someone who is willing to like get their hands dirty and learn and have that flexibility and adaptability that they can just get thrown into whatever when you need them. And literally sometimes that was like, hey, my guy that runs product marketing, I need you to help me stuff backpacks full of swag for an event because I'm understaffed right now and you are here and I need your help. And like no complaints, like just absolutely cool. That sounds like a great refreshing break from whatever wherever I was doing versus like, I need you to go do deep competitive intelligence and data analysis, you know, like just go figure out how to do it. I don't have time to explain it. Here's what I need. Here are the goals. Here's what we're trying to do. Go get after it. Hiring kind of based on those skills and, and qualities and just the ability to really collaborate and connect well with someone. That is one of my best learnings. And I think kind of on the challenges flip side, much related to what you're talking about, it's amazing when you build something that ends up in the spotlight. It's also really hard being in the spotlight sometimes. You are under so much scrutiny. You have way more like PR fires that are just teeny tiny little things, but they suddenly blow up because the internet is like a, you know, monster that rolls down the hill sometimes, collects for a bottle of way, you know? So it's like, <laughs> there are so many, there are so many challenges that are associated with becoming well-known and well-loved and well-respected because like one thing goes wrong and it feels like the house is burning down. And I think just being mindful and building mindful of what you say and what you do and building that Teflon skin and then having the right processes and systems in place where if something goes awry, like you know how to handle it with your customers, you know how to handle it on the internet, you know how to navigate it. I can't speak to like, how much I learned in, in kind of the era of like spotlight crisis over the tiniest little thing in my time. Yeah. I think I witnessed a few of those in, in mm. real time and was impressed in how you uh, handled uh, pressure under fire and uh, collaborated with the community to, to sort through it all in, in a good way. And I think um, we're all learning as, as the internet evolves and uh, you know, showing some empathy towards each other. And I think uh, there's a lot of, there's a ton to unpack and learn from in that, statement alone. So thank you. Mm -hmm. You kind of mentioned on the hiring piece, our mutual friend Chase, uh, we talk a little bit about vibe check. What's your view there? Do you, do you feel like looking back on the hires that it was like vibe check nine out of 10 often led to a great fit? How do you kind of gauge that part of the hiring process as we transition into your, your stay uh, hiring work? Yeah, I have, I'm currently operating on a three-stage hiring process. I haven't totally refined it, but this is what I'm using right now to hire. So I do a like 15 to 20-minute discovery call. So I pick the resumes or the references from the pile. I do a 15-minute discovery call. Mm -hmm. Hey, this is what we're looking for. Tell me what you're looking for. Does that align? I get an initial gauge on like their personality and how they can handle things from that call. And also knowing it's like it's short, it needs to be concise, we need to be efficient in that time. Second call, we get more in the weeds on specifics of the role. I ask them to prep something in advance. So like, hey, take a look at our website and give me like three suggestions you would have for how we could improve 
messaging on XYZ or something. Not something that's like robust enough that you feel bad not paying them for it. I'm not asking them to design anything, but more so like just give me a totally a gloss over some ideas that you have or you'd want to implement in your first 30 days. And then the third call is like me plus other people on the team, meet the team, broader vibe check. But all the while, while I'm kind of sussing vibes and expertise and ability, I have this bug in the back of my brain that I can't even remember who it was now, but if someone had triple whale, um, that when I was talking about hiring, they kind of gave me this principle and they called it the airplane seat principle. And it's basically like, if you have to travel with this person that you're going to hire and your flight gets delayed like eight hours and you're stuck in those terrible plastic metal airplane seats and you have to sit next to each other for those eight hours until you can finally take off in your plane, would you be miserable? Would you get work done? Would you at least enjoy your time together? Would you want to kill them? Like how would how you know perceive try and visualize how those eight hours would go together? And if you don't have a strong gut sense that you'd either get something done and be really productive or really enjoy the time together and laugh and have a nice time, they're probably not going to be a culture fit to work with you in a direct capacity. And so that's kind of like one of the things that I always keep in the back of my mind as I'm interviewing. It's like, all right, we're sitting in the airplane seat. We're sitting in the airplane seat. And they don't always have to be like the most fun person that you're going to go get drinks with because at the end of the day, it's work. But even if you're not going to get drinks with them or whatever, like, are you going to be able to sit down and crack open those laptops and and be able to work together for eight hours without losing your mind, you know? It's an important factor. I think it's a great barometer. I love that rule. And um, we've talked about that a lot as well. And I know a lot of others have too. So it's a, it's a good one. I love that. And a good segue, right? You know, stay.ai, I'd love to get maybe a little more insight into what you're looking to do there and installing the marketing systems and team and efforts and how you're approaching marketing for them. Totally. Yeah. So to give some context on stay for anyone who's listening, who's not familiar, um, as I mentioned, we're in Shopify subscription app space. Our, the, the Shopify subscription app space has really been kind of nearly monopolized by legacy providers for a long time. So folks launched subscriptions a while ago with provider ABC and they've been there and it's kind of like a set it and forget it thing. They sign the contract either for multi-year or they do year over year, but they set it. They're like happy to have that chunk of recurring revenue in their pocket every month from their subscribers, but it's not really something they're actively minding, tending to whatever. They can like build the email flows. It exists. We update them if we need to update them, that kind of thing. The reality is like that is terrible, <laughs> terrible way of thinking about your subscription program. Uh, and you're doing yourself a huge disadvantage. And your subscription program, much like other systems within your, your marketing org, should be highly optimized and should work to help juice higher LTV and more recurring revenue and help support your brand even more. And so that's kind of where Stay comes in. So our co-founders developed this platform because they just didn't love what existed in terms of the legacy solution market. And so Stay now offers a robust feature set that not only includes your subscription basics, but all sorts of additional things that help you proactively and reactively mitigate churn, as well as boost you know order value and your overall customer LTV throughout your subscription program and improve your customer subscription experiences. All that being said, what we're doing is saying, hey, the old way, not great. <laughs> the new way, better, way better. <laughs> and... When you're working with a situation like that, where many people have been on a legacy provider for five to eight years, Mm -hmm. they're often not even problem aware, let alone solution aware. And so you have to spend a lot of your time and energy educating, storytelling, 
really like preaching to the choir that, Hey, there's a better world that exists beyond that one that you're in. It's very, I describe it for my philosophy nerds. It's like allegory of the cave vibes. And so <laughs> I don't know if allegory of the cave and vibes have ever been said together as a phrase, <laughs> but I'm going to make that a thing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so too, when it comes to our strategy, you know, like I said, like I came into this team that has already been doing well. We have a, a broad customer set. Uh, we've already raised this series. A. We're doing great, but we've done a lot of like leading with features. We have this. They don't have that. We have this. They don't have that. And that's just like a horrible sales experience <laughs> because at the end of the day, like if you are at the point where you're booking a demo or exploring a website for a new provider for something, you don't just like want to get slapped in the face with net new features. Cause that's like, I have to learn how to use that. I have to figure out why that matters. Yep. You instead want the story of why you should care. And so we focus a lot of our energy around really like rebuilding copy on our website through our social messaging, through email communications and newsletter marketing to tell the story about why you should care about updating and optimizing your subscription program in the first place, let alone why should you stay and then how our features enable you to do that. Just providing a lot of robust content marketing and thought leadership and focusing more so on not even saying like, hey, we're better than them because of this, but more so like, hey, we have a a team stacked with expert marketers and retention strategists. And at bare minimum, we are here to give you advice on how to get more out of your program. It would be great if you sign up for our, our tool though. That would be awesome too. Here's, here's, here's the tool and here's how it works. And so that's kind of been like the philosophy that we've taken and, and since I've come in and it comes out in a variety of different ways, but really just reframing subscription as a performance channel has been, has been huge in, in the work that we've done the past couple months so far. Yeah, it seems like big problem to solve, good timing, good initial, you know, good traction, good progress and exciting growth opportunity and super thrilled for you on that. Do you feel like there's community elements that you are seeing an opportunity with? What what have you seen from community as an opportunity there and is that a path you might consider pursuing as a head of marketing? Yeah, absolutely. I think I mean right now because there's so much to do and I have a teeny tiny team I'm just not investing as heavily as I would have, you know, as we did at Triple O when I came in. And also both businesses run incredibly differently. Like, you know, there's just a, a lot that needs to be done in each place. And, and community made sense the place and the time that I was on at Triple O before. Right now it's like not number one because I have so many things that I need to get done. But we still participate a lot in other events. We do things like this where we do podcasts and speaking opportunities and We attend events and we host dinners. I'm currently running, it's not every month, I'm trying to do it like every other month, um, a happy hour series based out of our office in New York, where we literally just get people together. I hire a bartender, they bartend cocktails and we have bites. And then we have a very low key, like sit on the couch panelist series to talk about a, a particular topic. And it's absolutely not sales pitchy at all. And so that's kind of how I'm introducing that to say right now. And then I'm also kind of approaching community from a like crowdsourced collaborative content sort of way. So we include interviews and Q and A's in our newsletters and our blog, work, you know, cross-functionally with other people on social posts, things like that, so that we're working with partners and also lifting up the brands that you stay to highlight our community in different ways. Love it. And for brands that have, you know, plugged in and, and gotten some of the value out, I'd love to hear 
you know, maybe some of the learnings that that you've seen or some of the brands have seen in terms of tapping into stay.ai and like, what are some of the learnings that you can share there? Yeah, totally. There are honestly so many, but I pulled three on my little cheat sheet of notes, that's me, but I pulled three that I think are perhaps some of the most interesting that I want to, I want to tackle with you. So um, the first one I've learned across multiple different brands, but the one that comes most to mind right now is hop water, which is a D2C beverage brand, sparkling water with hops, great alcoholic alternative. If you aren't into having a, an actual drink, you know, um, kind of gives you the taste, but, and a, and a fun drink to drink, but don't have to do the alcohol. When they came to stay, they were dealing with some high turn re- related issues and they were having trouble identifying why they started doing some customer surveying and they realized that one of the biggest problems that they were having is that they offered packs of flavors of drinks and customers didn't want a 12 pack of just one flavor and they didn't want a variety pack because that included a flavor that they didn't care about. And so they needed to offer flexible custom bundling options. And then they also needed to offer custom cadence subscriptions because sometimes you don't drink all of it every month. And sometimes you want it once a quarter because it's a special treat for your family. Legacy providers do not offer that detailed level of flexibility and like building your own perfect bundle with number of products you want, whatever. And they also tend to operate on a every month or every two weeks Those are your two options for how customers can set their subscriptions. And so in offering the flexible bundling and flexible subscription cadences to their customers, Hopwater saw a 40% reduction in subscriber churn since rolling that out, which is massive. Um, That's nearly 50%. So my biggest pro tip is whether you stay or not, you need to seriously consider if you're running a subscription business, how important flexibility is to your customers. And if you're not giving them even the basics, the ability to pause, skip, you know, cancel on their own, that sort of thing, you're constraining them, you're stressing them out, and they want to have that autonomy to manage their subscription how they like. Next one is kind of somewhere in between the world of surprise and delight and kind of offering unique subscriber programs. But um, one of the brands that we love working with is Ourobora, another beverage brand, actually. I think I actually pulled three beverage brands by some, for some reason, but they're my three favorite examples. But Ourobora also offers fun flavored sparkling waters and things like that. They were looking to generally enhance the customer experience for their subscriber program, as well as make more money out of their subscription revenue. And so what they did is they took their subscription program, they added additional benefits. So subscribers now have first access to new flavor drops. They drop a new flavor each month. It's limited edition. The subscribers get the first emails and access to add it on in their portals if they'd like to. And then everybody else gets access to it later. So kind of using the old like sneaker drop analogy, but your added benefit as a subscriber is that you get early access. And so this was massive for boosting LTV for them. It was something that we were able to offer through our no code customer portal, as well as transactional email offerings. They moved to say over, I would say like a year ago, and they've implemented a lot of different strategies, but this being one of them. And so far, they've seen 128% growth in subscription MRR since moving to stay. So their monthly recurring subscription revenue has literally grown 128%. Awesome. Which is massive. Just by offering customers another product they can add on. They're not even giving anything away for free or adding discounts, which is nuts. And then my last one is maybe my favorite. Um, stay offers you a... We have a piece for a product called Experience Engine, which allows you to run 
AI-driven and optimized A-B tests for different types of promotional and offer testing. And one of the things that we have found that led us to kind of build this product in such a way is that there is often a cliff in the subscriber journey across every brand where somewhere around order three, four, two, between two and three, subscribers just like randomly drop off. We don't know why. Sometimes they say it's too expensive. Sometimes they say they're bored, whatever it is. The reality is they're probably just picking a cancellation reason when they're canceling. Of course, some of them do have a legitimate reason, but they often just click something and they bail because they want on to the next thing. The way to overcome that is to really build that brand reputation and relationship with your customer. And so there are a lot of unique ways that you can do it. But Obvi, um, which is a health and wellness brand, women's health and wellness, they're very popular on Twitter. If you know Ash and Ron, they tested offering a free gift with purchase between orders two and three, orders three and four, I'm sorry, orders, yeah, two and three, three and four, and four and five. And so what they ended up doing is they ran these three different tasks and they offered a free gift with purchase with the upcoming order or no free gift with purchase. They split tested it and they tested it these three different cadences. So they had a lot going on, but at the end of their data analysis, they found that with upcoming order two and three was when people had the highest take rates. They actually saw that it boosted their conversion rate. So people stayed on to order three with that free gift, 85% higher um, from running that test. So then they've implemented that free gift at, after order two, before order three for every customer uh, moving forward. It's been a smashing success for them. Insane. And you think like, oh, well, that keeps them on to order three. No, the, the relationship that the customer builds then, it enhances the long-term LTV of the customer to stay on for longer and longer and longer. And so super cool to see some of these tests in action and, and see how people are using them in unique and different ways. Yeah. I'm so fired up. The, the opportunity to kind of expand LTV and the cart size is such a huge initiative for so many D2C brands. You know, D2C is faced with significant changes in the last few years. It's not as easy as it used to be. There's more competition, less trans, you know, less data insights. You know, tracking's harder. And so, for you for you to attack something that's that you can own, that cadence of delivery, that cadence of relationship of delivering value to your customers, so awesome. And so. This is really cool, and I I would be shocked if we're not going to want to uh, uh, get some of our clients who are needing this uh, collaborating with you. And I'm sure there's a lot of folks that are realizing that this is something you need to pay more attention to. So I love it. Awesome. Yeah, bring them to Heck me. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Good stuff. So switching gears a little bit, wrapping up with some fun questions. I'd love to learn. So obviously, you come from education. You're in tech and, and performance and growth. If you weren't in this industry, what might you consider as a career? I narrowly avoided a career in the arts. So my family, I had always, uh, I've been classically trained piano and I was classically trained vocalist. And there was a period of time in which I was auditioning for music school for college. Ironically, I was the one who was like, mom, this is a big bet. Like, I don't know that I'm really going to make money doing this. Chose teaching instead. For some reason, she was like, yeah, I hear you on the music thing. They didn't push back on the teaching thing. Still have some, some words to have with her on that. Um, but yeah, I think I probably would have tried to do something in music. And if it, if it, I'm not saying like I wanted to be famous and I didn't care to act or dance or anything, but I think I would have maybe gone into music education or maybe something in like the production industry or something like that, because I've always just been so passionate about music and the arts. That's so cool. Is there a musician or a genre or something that's super inspiring to you or something that folks should check out 
maybe in piano or elsewhere? Yeah. So my, my grandfather was um, a jazz pianist and had like a big band and swing band. I have a bunch of his wow. old like homemade records in our house. Um, and so I grew up wow. listening to a lot of the standards. And so I think like, I'm not going to be like, oh, go listen to those EDM songs. Like, I'm going to be like, go, go get an education, like listen to some Ella, you know, listen to some Billy. I think that's where like my, my heart really lies when it comes to, to music. But I think that there are a ton of really awesome young and, and new and emerging artists. And I'm, I'm always stoked when people send me new music. So if you follow me on Twitter, send me some links. Heck yeah. It, when it's mellow out time, do you have a go-to jazz that you put on? What's the go-to? Gosh, it's so hard to say. Um, we I don't, we listen to so much. Like we listen to Duke, we listen to Count Basie, like we listen to all over the place. So I think we just have like a curated Spotify playlist now of all. I say we, my husband and I, we just have like a curated Spotify playlist now of music that we put on when we're like cooking dinner, like sitting on the couch reading that kind of thing, and it's just got all of our favorites on it. I love it. That's super cool. This was a debated, uh, heated topic with uh, Raba at the uh, Austin D to C happy hour that happens on occasion. And um, where do you think the D2C e-com city is? What are the top cities? What's the, what's your ranking? Any any thoughts there? People are everywhere. And like everybody moves every five (laughs) minutes. I don't know. There are a billion people in California. There are a billion people in Austin. There are a billion people in Miami. I feel like the East coast is spread kind of thin. Like there's still a decent New York crowd, but I, I feel like, Boston is actually not super, even though Clavio is based here. It's, I don't find a lot of founders are based in Boston. I think the East Coast is kind of thin in comparison. But I've been surprised to see a lot of founders in like Utah popping up now. Yeah. There have been a lot in like Seattle and Portland and like some of these cities that just weren't as like the, the trendy cities a long time ago, probably because the cost of mm-hmm. living is exorbitant in all the fun places now. <laughs> but um, yeah. not to say that those are fun, but all the, you know, the trendy spots. So I don't know. Rama, yep. Rama, thinks, Rama thinks he knows what's up all the time. So <laughs> He'll, he could take the roast, but I don't know. Did he say Austin? I'm sure he did. You got to got to put him in his place a little bit when we have a chance. I think he said New York, Austin, and L.A. Yeah, I, I mean that was interesting. Yeah, I would I would say I would say L.A. is a little too niche, though. I, honestly, I think it's coast to coast California. Interesting. Yeah, it's good to get your perspective, and you know we gotta we gotta you know throw it back at him a little bit. Oh, he's used he's used to me roasting him. <laughs> it's oh like, yeah. It's oh, unclear yeah. if I was his boss or he was my boss for the past year. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. So what are you thinking you might be missing most about the lovely city of Austin, Texas, if anything? I'm I'm a people person. So I think we, I mean, my old team at Triple Oil doesn't even exist anymore, but I miss working in my te- with my team in my office and having my little like walk about town, getting my, my juice land smoothies and those sorts of things. But I'm a people person. I just miss a lot of the people there. I'm not super attached to places. I've, I've lived in a lot of different places. So I think for me, it's more about the humans, not the the things there. But I do super miss barbecue. I like it. And then the flip side, your new adventure with Boston, with Stay, what, what's the thing that's most exciting you about that? And what's next? I mean, from a business perspective, it is amazing to have so much flexibility and room for growth and like the world just feels like my oyster right now for building up this marketing team. Um, so I'm super stoked about that. From a Boston standpoint, I'm so stoked to have like a cozy Christmas and cozy fall and also start to meet some people in the, the community that are 
up here um, because mm-hmm. been so long. I'm also just a quick jaunt from New York. So I get to go to New York a lot, which is really awesome and connect with people. But yeah, I think it's uh, it's an exciting transition. I think it really does feel like a fresh start because the combination move and the job change kind of happened around the same time. And so it kind of feels like I'm progressing in the next chapter, you know? Heck yeah. Congratulations on it all. Thank you. And, um, super, super excited for you. Thank you so much. Heck yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And um, I do want to just again, uh, give a shout out and uh, give you a chance to maybe let folks know where they can learn more about all things Alexa and um, where, where might people find you. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm on Twitter at Alexa Kilroy. My last name is spelled K-I-L-R-O-Y. And then um, if you want to learn about Stay AI, it's just stay.ai and you'll find us there. Love it. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, looking forward to the next one. Thank you.